Uh, tonight we're going to be talking about, uh, in Psalms uh, chapter 6, uh, my allergies are really acting up today. I've got a lot of draining, so excuse me if I clear my throat a hundred times during this lesson. But uh, Roy's always good to supply me in candy, and I think I've got 15 or 20 he gave me, so I have to go as long as the candy lasts. So uh, we might be here a while tonight, but, but I'll need them all tonight, I think. Um, in uh, Psalms chapter 6, we see a little bit of a change. Uh, we, we see uh, as a, a number of psalms, there, there's a few others that are kind of like this, well, not kind of like this, that are like this, uh, where there's a uh, sense of penitence, of David struggling with whatever sin may be in his life, whatever he's struggling with, uh, his conversation with God about that and the struggle that he has with sin. And there's a lot of things that we can learn that I like about the Psalms, especially these Psalms, because it really shows um, what sin can do to us. And it shows what our attitude should be about sin and how we should respond and how God responds to it. Um, there, there's a certain way that we should feel about sin. There's a certain way that we should feel about the consequences of sin. And there's a, a way that we should be and do to take care of that sin. Um, and, and this is just one part uh, of what we're going to see from David. But let's just start here with verse 1. He says, O Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger, nor chasten me in your, heart, in your hot displeasure. Uh, so David starts out his cry, his prayer uh, to God with realizing that God is going to chasten him. And what's interesting about this, God, David doesn't tell or ask God not to. I believe David understands that, that God will chasten us. Um, and he understands in this particular instance that when we do wrong, that... God has a responsibility to do that. There's consequences for our actions. But he doesn't say, don't do that, God. What David is concerned with, how much God's going to do and how he's going to do that. And I, I like how he prays to God because I think it could help us in our prayers when it comes to that, when we're approaching God in, in the same situation, that we realize what God's going to do, but we realize that it is appropriate to, to say, okay, I, I know it's going to come, but uh, I just pray that it won't be too severe. And he says here, don't chasten me um, in your heart uh, hot displeasure. A, a couple things here with this. Again, one, David recognizes that uh, God is going to chasten his children. And, and there's, there's different reasons for that. Um, there's different reasons for God disciplining us. Uh, it can be a, a consequence of something that we've done, or it can be for the very fact of a, a teaching uh, tool. In Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 7, notice, it says, If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? What is the purpose of, of discipline? Why, why even bother with it? As a parent, let's, let's look at it on the physical part. What, what, what's the purpose of it? Is there any purpose to it? Is it just for fun? Should we as parents say, oh, I can't wait 
to discipline my child. That's the most happiest time in my life. Is, that, is it just for the pleasure of the parent? What's the purpose? Correction. For correction. Okay, a child has done something. Why, why should we correct them? So they don't do it again. It, yes. Yeah, you, you learn from it. it. It protects you. It's for your protection. Uh, you know, I, if I said it once, I probably said it a hundred times and, and, and discipline my children. Um, is, you know, or, or things that I do, some rules that we, I, I may instill. You know, I, I've said this isn't for your punishment. It's for your protection. You know, there, there's a sense of protection in this, this rule. This, this instruction in this rule is, is for your protection. Now, there is chastening and there is discipline and there is things for consequences of actions. One, to teach them not to do it again, and, but two, to realize there is consequences for that. And we're going to see here with David, David as he mourns here um, and, and he agonizes, it's not necessarily... We don't see that he's necessarily mourning a sin, per se. It, it's a consequence that he thinks he's receiving for that. Now, we say sometimes that, that we should be, you know, you ever heard someone say, well, they're just sorry because they got caught? You ever heard that expression? What do we usually mean by that? Well, they're just sorry because they got caught. Yeah, it wouldn't be sorry at all. But let me ask you this, is there, can there be a purpose, can there be a benefit for being sorrowful and being mournful because of the consequences of your actions of what happened to you? Okay, you commit a sin, you may not thought that that was a big deal. But then you realize and see that, okay, now I'm suffering consequences for it, and I'm very sorry for it because of the consequences. Maybe we didn't realize that it was such a devastating thing. See, there's a benefit for consequences. The benefit is that we realize, okay, this thing that I didn't think was a big deal actually is a big deal. I'm suffering because of it. Other people may be suffering because of it. So there's things that can happen within those consequences that can cause me to mourn for the sin, but maybe I wouldn't have even done that had I not suffered the consequences. You see? And I think that's what's taking place here with David. Now, I have no idea. It doesn't say here what particular thing that he thinks is, that he believes is going on. But it's, it's very traumatizing to David that he, he, what he believes God is going to do. And he's very traumatized by it. Uh, but it's about the chastening, not necessarily the action. But I think the consequences of it leads us to not want to do the action anymore. Is that making sense? You know, I, I, I'm starting to think a little different sometimes when it comes to how we view sin. Yes, we, we've got to mourn sin. We've got to uh, uh, be sorry for that sin. But there has to be something that leads us to do that. If there's no consequences for it, then I'd, I'd never be mournful of that, would I? Why, why would I be? So there, there needs to be a consequence for that. That's why we see so many things that's going on today because we've desanitized, we've kind of dumbed down and there's no consequences for our actions. Sometimes we think, well, if somebody just cries or said they're sorry, you know, that's punishment enough. Well, maybe it's not. 
Maybe there needs to be more consequences so the action uh, won't take place again. There needs to be some reason not to do it. And many times there's not a reason. You know, I've, I've, I just take, this may be off topic, but I've heard individuals, and you see it on the news, and I've even had conversation with in, in individuals when it comes to uh, the death penalty. Oh, no, you, you can't have the death penalty. It, it doesn't deter crime. It doesn't deter uh, anybody from doing anything. Well, I beg to differ. The one that's... that. Uh, uh, the one that gets executed, are they going to do it again? So I think it does deter something, doesn't it? There's a time and place for it. But that's a whole different thing. But when it comes to the actions and consequences, there, there, there has to be consequences. There's a lot of times that what keeps somebody from doing something is the fact that they don't want to suffer the consequences of it. Is that enough? Is that enough? Should that be enough? That, okay, this person says, okay, this is something that I wouldn't think that's a big deal, but I've seen others suffer because they've done that, so I'm not going to do it. So does it serve a purpose in that way then? Yeah, absolutely it does. One thing that I think we're going to see through the Psalms and we can see in other things, because you may often wonder, why does, why does the Bible say that David was a man after God's own heart when, when you see time and time again uh, uh, sins and grievous sins that, that he commits, that he, that he finds himself in? I, I think the issue is not the sin, because we all sin and fall short of God's glory. It's how David, when he recognizes it, the, the trueness of his repentance. You know, how he views that, how he views his relationship with God and, and, and how he does. I think that's where the issue lies. We, we've got to have that kind of attitude. We can't go around and say that I never sin. If I'm going to be pleasing to God, then I can't ever sin. We, we're not capable of doing that. But what we are capable of doing is being mournful for that sin or at least the consequences of it so we can mourn the sin. And then when we could get to that point, then we, we realize what it does to God. We, we realize, because as it says here in Hebrews, that He chastens us like a father chastens his son. You know, we, we do that because it, it, it hurts us to see our child in a situation that's going to be harmful to them. So we'll do what we can to protect them from that. But here, David, again, he's not telling God, oh, don't chasten me, don't, don't do that. David is saying, don't do it out of anger. Don't do it out of uh, uh, the, uh, uh, your, your hot displeasure, he says in verse 1. Now, would God discipline us out of anger? Which is the proper way to discipline a child? While you're angry or while you're calm? While you're calm. And sometimes you have to kind of walk away a little bit to get like that, don't you? Well, is, 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 why, is, why is David saying, okay, God, don't, don't chasten me in your hot displeasure when you're angry? Why would David say that? Would God do that? I mean, think about this. I, I was reading a couple of things on this, and I, I'll be honest, I hadn't really, I don't know how much I, I, I agree with it all the way down the line, but I hadn't thought of it so much as this. And there's a couple of things that David says in the Psalms 
I can see where these individuals get that. You take on this side of the cross and on the Old Testament side of the cross. Did God deal with individuals differently? Yeah, well, of course he did. When, when Jesus, what was the purpose of Jesus dying on the cross? Yeah, God's wrath on sin and mankind was poured out on the cross, wasn't it? Okay, in doing that, before that, was it a different story? How God dealt with them, and even individuals' view on how God dealt with them. There, there still was some, some dimness to it. And when I say dimness, there still was some things that was a little bit blurry that maybe they didn't fully understand until it fully came to be. So David here is dealing on a different side of the cross, and he's dealing with the same God, but the same God who dealt differently with individuals. And maybe in his mind, in his agony, he is thinking, okay, I know the chastening's coming. I deserve the chastening. Just don't do it out of anger because that's going to be a lot worse than, than I can handle. And he goes in and describes why. But I think that's what David is doing here. He's, he's realizing the situation is, that he's in. He's mourning these consequences of it because he knows they're coming. So his plea to God is, okay, God, don't do it because he knows God's going to do it. It's just, okay, just don't do it so hard. And don't do it very long if you can. And don't do it out of anger. So he's worried about, he knows, well, put it in plain terms, he knows he's going to get a whooping. He's trying to determine what that whooping's going to be like. You know, that's really what he's doing. And he's trying to determine how bad is this going to be. You know, am I going to be able to sit down in a day or two or what? I mean, I'm, I'm kind of making light, but that's basically what David's trying to get across here. I know it's coming. I'm just pleading my case that maybe it won't be as hard as it needs to be. Um, so let's go to verses uh, 2 and 3. He says, Have mercy on me, O Lord, for I am weak. O Lord, heal me, for my bones are troubled. My soul also is greatly troubled. But you, O Lord, how long? So there's, here, here's where David begins this plea. He knows the chastening is coming. He, he's pleading with God, okay, don't do it out of your anger. He says, have mercy on me. Have mercy when you're doing this. Here's what I deserve. Here's what I, I believe is coming to me. But I'm asking that you have mercy on me when you deliver me because here's the state that I'm in. I'm in such a, a physical agony. My, my soul is, is even hurting and troubled that it's even translated over into my physical hurt. You ever been so emotionally distressed that it made you physically hurt? You ever been like that? that, that that's where David is here. He's in so much physical distress because, again, he knows what he's done and he knows that he's, he's, he's separated himself from God. He makes some reference to that about not departing from him or, or return to him, he says. So he knows he's done something to separate him from God and that's got him so much in anguish because of, of the consequences of it and where, where that's left him and left him with his relationship with God that his soul hurt, his soul is troubled, but it says even his bones are troubled. He said, I'm, I'm in a terrible state, not just emotionally, but physically. I think this is why David was so close to God, even when he was separated from God, 
when he realized that, he was doing all he can to get back in that right relationship with God. And that makes all the difference in the world. The Christian life is not just about living faithfully to God. It's about what do you do when you don't. Do you come back? Do you give up? Do you? Jesus didn't give up. Look how many times Peter failed him. Jesus didn't give up on Peter. He made sure that Peter knew there's a way back. Here David knows there's a way back. And that's what he's struggling with here. He knows the process to get back there is not going to be easy. It may be painful. Because we have to come to a realization. We have to still suffer consequences. It's still not enough to be sorry. There's consequences with it. Even if I get back in a right relationship with God, there's still consequences that I have to face because of the sin. It may be emotional, it may be physical, whatever it may be, there, there still, it doesn't do away with consequences. And, and David's understanding this. He's understanding it so much that it's, it, it's greed. And he said, for I am weak. He said, I, I can't take it. I, my, my soul and, and, and my body can't handle it. This, this is how, how much, and, and what has God done to him yet? This is just the thought of God doing it. This is just David realizing it, it, it really comes down to his conscience now. His conscience is bothering him. He's going to get in and talk about it. He can't even sleep at night. You know, he can't. It's gotten so bad, he, he can't find any peace or any relief. And he don't like the situation that he's in. Let's go a little bit farther. He says, return, O Lord, deliver me. O save me from your mercy's sake. For in death there is no remembrance of you. In the grave, who will give you thanks? So notice, he says, return, O Lord, and deliver me. So for the Lord to have to return, what does that have to imply? That, that he's away from him. Remember Isaiah 59, 1 and 2, that his ears aren't where he can't hear, his arms aren't too short where he can't reach, but it's our iniquities that separates us from God. So David realizes that, that he's, he's in a situation where he's separated. He's asking the Lord to return. Now, the Lord's only going to return one way. And remember, he, he can't be in the presence of, of ungodliness. So David has to make a change for God to be back in the relationship that he needs to be in. So it's not God that left. It's actually David that departed. So he, he's telling him, return to me. And here's how he, how he wants him to do it. He said, deliver me. Oh, save me for your mercy's sake. I, I like how he says that. Why do you think he words it like that? For your mercy's sake. Well, think about what he's saying. David realizes what he deserves. He, he realizes what, what, what God's going to do. And he says, for your mercy's sake, don't do it. And here's why he says for in death there is no remembrance of you. In the grave, who will give you thanks? What David is saying, if you destroy me, if you don't show mercy to me and you destroy me, then I'm not going to be in a position where I can praise you and give you thanks as you need me to do to those that are around me. I can't do that if you totally destroy me. So he's saying, have mercy on me. Here's what I deserve, but for your mercy's sake, so he can do the things that he needs to do for him, spare me that. Now, there's individuals who take this verse 
And they'll preach things like total annihilation or soul sleeping. You ever heard of that? To where once you're dead, you're like Rover, you're dead all over. There, there's nothing else. And they say this is proof of it because David's saying if God destroys him, that there's going to be no remembrance of God. Because once you're dead, you can't remember God anymore. You're, you're dead all over. You're, you're gone. It's over with. But that's not what David is saying at all here. Not even a little bit, I don't think. Now, did David have a full understanding of the resurrection? Did everyone in the Old Testament at that time have a full understanding? I, I don't know if he did. There, there's glimpses in the Old Testament where individuals didn't, and there's glimpses where individuals did. Job did, for instance, what is it? Job, we just studied this. Job 19, uh, where uh, Job said, I know that my Redeemer lives and that, that, that he will be there with me in the last day and, and rise up. So Job had a sense of understanding of, of the resurrection. Uh, I'm sure David did. But again, this is on this side of the cross, you know, on, on that side. There, there's things in which even the prophets, even the things that they prophesied, they didn't fully understand what they were prophesying. So I don't know how much David fully grasped about it. But irregardless, I don't even think that's what David's talking about here. I think what David is saying in his agony is, don't kill me, Lord, because if you kill me, if you destroy me, I can't do the things that I know that you set for me to do. I think that's what David's saying. I think, again, he knows that chastening's coming. He knows that the hammer of God is fixing to come down hard. And now what David is doing is pleading for mercy when God does it. Don't, don't ultimately destroy me because you're going to defeat the purpose. You know, I, I'm here to remember you. I'm here to praise you. I'm here to serve you. And if you destroy me, I can't do that. Then what's going to happen? And God knows all of this. David's not saying to God where God's sitting up there saying, oh yeah, you're right, I better not do this or this. This, this is David's agony. This is David's cry to God in, in trying to rectify what's happened. Again, he's not telling God not to do it. I, I don't think that's an appropriate prayer anyway. I, I don't think we need to uh, pray to God not to do anything uh, uh, in chasing us because a lot of spiritual blessings are in chastening, but also in the consequences of it because God's not going to do that anyway. But I think it is very appropriate to beg for mercy in Him doing it. I think it is very appropriate to uh, uh, try to come to some grips of, okay, I know I deserve it, but I'm asking you to show me some mercy. And God is in the mercy business, isn't He? I mean, what the world deserved was condemnation. Jesus even told individuals in John chapter 3, if you go down to about verse 17, 18, 19, following there, where he's telling them that, that you were in darkness, the world was condemned already. I didn't come to condemn, I come to save, because you're condemned already. You, you, your ultimate end was destruction already. The purpose of me coming is to make it available where that doesn't happen. Again, God's wrath is poured out on the cross, not on us. And that, that's a whole... Uh, that, that's God showing His mercy and grace there. That, that's God chastening us, God giving us what I deserve, but showing us mercy in the way that He did it. 
So we didn't get truly what we deserve. David knows what he deserves. He's just asking and pleading with God not to do it that way. You ever had to have that conversation with God? Did you ever get to where, well, let's go a little bit farther and look, look how, 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 how distraught David has got because of this. He says, I am weary with my groaning. All night I make my bed swim. I drench my couch with my tears. My eye wastes away because of grief. It grows old because of all of my enemies. Now again, you're seeing the true character of David here. Does David sin? Absolutely. Has he done some pretty bad things in those sins? And, 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 and individuals have suffered greatly because of it. Yes. But look how he handles this. He said, I'm weary with my groaning. All night I make my bed swim. What does he mean by that? Because his bed, you know, we take the Bible, should we take the Bible literally? Or not? That's a loaded question, isn't it? Not always. It, yeah, a lot. I, I take it, and how we should do it, we've got to be careful how we say that. Well, I take the Bible literally. Well, we need to take it literally in the context that it's written. That's how we need to take it, literally. David's not saying his bed swims at night. But what is David saying? He's, he's doing a, uh, uh, I don't know what you'd even call it, like a poetical exaggeration. What are you saying? He, he's crying so much. He shed so many tears because of this. It's like his bed's floating on water. That's what he's talking about. He's not literally talking about his bed swimming. So we've got to be careful, as, especially as we read the Psalms, that we realize that, that a lot of it is is in poetry. You know, this is made to sing, you know, to sing these Psalms. Uh and what David is saying here, he's, he's making the point, I'm, I think he's almost saying to God, really, what else can you do to me? Look how much I'm already suffering. I'm suffering because of this. This, this has literally made me groan. It, it, it's literally, I've said so much tears that my bed is swimming. I've drenched my couch with tears. I've done this so much, my eyes waste away because of grief. David said he couldn't possibly get any worse than he is now. And it's for a few different reasons. I think the main reason is because of David, David is groaning because of the place he is in his relationship with God. It wouldn't necessarily, I don't believe, because of the sin, it's because of the consequence, and that consequence led him to be sorrowful for that sin because of the relationship that said, what, what's devastating to David is being separated from God. And that, my friend, ought to be the number one motivation to keep us from sinning as much as we can. I mean, we can't not sin. The Bible says we all sin and fall short of God's glory. But if, if we're always wanting to be in that right relationship with God, we'll do all that we can to stay there. And then we will groan like David and suffer like David when we realize we're not in that relationship. David realizes where he's at here. He's not in a very good place. And he says, it's not only affected me mentally, it, it, it's affected me physically. He said, I'm struggling with this. My conscience, I, I can't sleep at night. 
My bones are even hurt. Um, there's an old preacher, and I can't even think of his name now. I've only heard his tapes. Um, Marshall Keeble. Marshall Keeble. I, I heard tape one time of, of him preaching, and he was giving an invitation. And he said, if you're here and leaving in sin, I hope you don't sleep a wink tonight. He said, I hope you're like uh, uh, in a washer. You toss and turn all night long, and the blood of Jesus is like that dash that you put in there to clean your clothes. He said, if you don't get that dash, you're just tossing and turning for no reason. And I believe that's what David is saying here. David is saying, you know, I, I, I'm tossing and turning. I can't sleep. I, I, it's like my bed is swimming. My couch is drenched in tears. I'm in misery. And that's what it should make us. We, we should be like that until we're back in a right relationship with God. That's how we should always feel when we're out of sync with God. If we get comfortable with being out of sync with God and, and this doesn't happen to us, there's no motivation to do better or to do right, is there? Think about it as a parent or as a, uh, uh, in a child relationship. I don't have, I've got one in here. He's not said it yet, but Hannah has. Uh, Brittany was always, you know, that's worth a whooping. You know, but uh, Hannah's, Hannah's main motivation was she didn't want to disappoint us. It, it, that bothered her more than anything. The thought of whooping didn't bother her. It was the thought of the disappointment that did. And, and I've often thought about that. You know, I, I thought about the times I got in trouble when I was a kid. Did it bother me that I disappointed my parents? Did it bother me that I disappointed my mom? Uh, there's a lot of times I don't think that entered into it. What entered into it was how much trouble was it going to get in and was it worth it? You know, uh, if I knew I was going to get in trouble, is it worth the whooping or not? Is it worth the grounding or not? And most time I guess I thought it was because I stayed grounded and got whooped all the time. But we get into a situation, unless we get into that, it has to be when it comes to our relationship with God, okay, I... I am afraid of the chastening that I'm going to get, but I'm also grieved because of the disappointment that I that I that's there. The the uh, out of sync of that relationship that we should want to be in that relationship with God, and it should grieve us when we're not. It, it should just cause us that we can't wait to do something to get back in that relationship. I, I've told individuals that. I've had individuals call me before and say, Ron, I, I want to be baptized. And I said, okay. I said, I've, uh, I'll meet you at church. No, 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 I'm, I'm going to wait a week or two. Why? I mean, why, why would you want to wait? You know, one, there's a lot that could happen in a week or two or in a day. You may not make it then. But two, why would you want to be out of a relationship with God any longer? You know, it's like a, 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 a sermon I did years ago. On uh, and I've heard different ones on it on Pharaoh and one more night with the frogs. Why would you want to spend one more night with the frogs? Why why would you want to do it when he told Moses, you know, get these frogs away from me? And Moses said, when you want it, he said tomorrow. That meant one more night with those stinking, smelly frogs. And people do that with sin all the time. They want to spend one more night in that sin when they don't have to. One more night at one more moment out of that right relationship with God. And if it doesn't grieve you when you do it, then 
do you really want a relationship with God? David did. This is how bad it hurt David. David said, I, I can't sleep that I'm drowning in my tears. My bones hurt. My soul hurts. I'm weak. My eyes uh, are, are wasting away. I, I can't handle it anymore. But then notice in verse 8 and following how things change. He said, Depart from me, all ye workers of iniquity, for the Lord has heard the voice of my weeping. Now, this may give maybe a hint to what was truly ailing David, what got him in that situation. He says, Depart from me, all ye workers of iniquity. Maybe he was hanging around the wrong people, and that got him in trouble. Maybe he was associating with the wrong crowd, and that got him in trouble. And he's saying, The Lord has heard my prayers, so you depart from me. You know, there's a, there's a lot of reasons that can get me in certain situations. And that may very well have been it with David. Because he says here, depart from me, all you workers of iniquity. For the Lord has heard the voice of my weeping. Now, you see a turn in David. I think David here is making a change. Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity. Okay, here's why. The Lord has heard the voice of my weeping. Now you see David with confidence. Here again, I think this shows why David had the relationship with God that he did. David was in an out relationship. It groaned him so much. He pleaded with God. Now he has the confidence that God heard his cry. God heard his struggle. God heard his pain. He said, the Lord has, uh, for the Lord has heard the voice of my weeping. The Lord has heard my supplication. The Lord will receive my prayer. He didn't say might. Three times he says, the Lord heard me. The Lord heard my supplication. He heard my prayer. He heard my weeping. There's no doubt to David that the Lord heard it and the Lord's going to answer it. This is just like David said before. I will look up. I will look up for what? I will look up for expectation. I expect you to hear me. And I realize that you heard me. And I'm going to tell the world that you heard me. We've got to have confidence in our prayer. This to me is, is David pleading with God, changing, and then letting it go. And realizing the Lord is on his side. He said the Lord's heard his weeping, heard his supplication, heard his prayer. Let all my enemies be ashamed and greatly troubled. Let them turn back and be ashamed suddenly. You know what David is saying? Better watch out. The Lord is on my side now. David's going to be able to sleep at night now. You know, before, see, that's why I don't know when this event took place because before when we read about David's prayer, he was talking about he was able to sleep at night because he had confidence in the Lord. He was able to wake up refreshed in the morning. He was able to uh, 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 have a conversation with God early in the morning to, to direct his steps and to to kind of plan for his day. But now something has changed with David. He can't sleep at night anymore. He's, in the, he's not in the right relationship with God. And because he's not in the right relationship with God, he's got to do something. And here now shows, okay, I, I, I've said all of that. I've got that off my chest. I, I, I've made my case. Now enemies better beware. If David didn't think he was back in the right relationship with God, why would he think the enemies need to beware? 
I don't know, this, as much as a struggle it seems that David has here, this psalm really gives me hope. Because it gives me hope because I find myself at times in the same situation that David was in. Can't sleep at night. Let me give you a little hint. If you're ever talking to Jack Honeycutt, don't ever tell him you can't sleep at night. You know, the first words out of his mouth is, if you live right, you can sleep right. I, I, he says that all the time. You must not be living right. You need to make that right with the Lord. I said, maybe it just because my hip hurts. You ever think of that? You know, maybe it might not be that. But every time you say it to him, that's, that's what he's going to say every single time. So I quit telling him I couldn't sleep at night. So, But have you ever found yourself to where you can't because you realize the situation that you're in? You, you realize that uh, you're not in a right relationship with God. And your conscience is bothering you. It's bothering you so much that you start to physically have ailments. And there's only one thing that's going to make that right. There's only one thing that's going to help that. And that's to be in the right uh, relationship with God. Then you'll be able, as David does, to be able to say, Let all my enemies be ashamed and greatly troubled. You know, before, remember what they were saying about David? Oh, look, the Lord's not even on his side now. He don't even have the Lord to help him anymore. And now what's David saying? <laughs> but look out. All my enemies better beware now. Because what's the Bible say? If the Lord's for you, what? Who can be against you? So you, you see the whole transformation here of David. You see him in a bad spot. You see what he did to, uh, in that uh, bad situation. And now you see him out of it and the confidence that he has. Can you imagine the weight that has been, that it can be lifted off an individual to realize that you've repented and made it right with God? Did you sleep any different the night that you got, uh, that you obeyed the gospel than you did the night before? Was there a reason for that? Have you ever slept better because uh, you made something right? Maybe you had a, a struggle with somebody and, and you went and made that right to the very best that you could. Does that help you sleep better at night? You realize that you're not in the right relationship with God so you get do what it takes to get back in that road. Of course it should. Because that, that keeps us having the confidence that we need. And that doesn't mean that we live in fear that, oh, if I make this sin, I'm, I'm automatically out of a relationship with God. That's not what David was saying here. David realized the sin separates us from God, but as the Bible says, you think David was still walking in the light? I think he was doing what was necessary to stay in that light, even though he was grieving with that. And I think it shows us the pathway that, that we can have, too. One is we're not above sin. We're, we're not above sinning. We're, we're going to sin. The question is, what do we do about it? Do we do what we're supposed to do to make that sin right. And that's what we see with David. And I think that's why he had the confidence that, that he had. Okay. Well, thank you very much.